0: Welcome to the Exponential Podcast. This podcast will help you accelerate multiplication in your church so you and your team can create movement. Exponential is the largest community of like-minded multiplication leaders on the planet. Our mission is to equip you as a movement maker with actionable principles, ideas, and solutions from some of today's top thought leaders. We see in you a culture of multiplication deep inside your life and ministry. Thank you for joining this conversation originally recorded inside of Exponential's Multiplier Resource Center, a hub of content and conversation
1: good morning exponential hello friends it's good to be with you my name is sarah borns crosby still getting used to my new last name as i got married a couple months ago and i am here with my friends laura hairston and drew hyun and we're not only friends we are also co-workers we real live work together um, at hope midtown church we're here in manhattan new york city and we get the fun topic today of talking about the Enneagram and the Rule of Life. So those are both kind of giant themes, topics you may or may not have heard of one or the other or both of them, but we're actually going to talk about each of them kind of separately. What are they? How have they impacted our lives? And then also how they overlay with one another, where the where they overlap and can inform one another. So kind of our guiding question today will be how could our Enneagram type, if you're familiar with yours or not, we'll, we'll kind of guide you into that. But how could our Enneagram type, our particular brand of brokenness, as we will get into, how would that inform the development, the crafting of our rule of life? So a rule of life being, we'll we'll explain a little bit more, but a rule of life being the intentional ways, the intentional practices, rhythms, routines that we cultivate and craft with the intention of paying attention to God in our lives, with the intention of building boundaries and margin around what our unique call is in the world. So a rule of life, um, which is actually what We'll be leading a seminar on live in Orlando in a couple months in March. Um, But right now we're really going to focus in on how our rules of life can be informed also by our Enneagram types and those things that are just our unique brands of wounding and as a pathway towards our healing um, we as leaders we are people who are on a spiritual journey as well of course and um, so this is really more for our own leadership but also can be a tool that it would be utilized for leading others um, the Enneagram just to get into that first the Enneagram, was actually an ancient, ancient tool for spiritual direction. So spiritual direction as a listening practice of co-listening with the Holy Spirit on behalf of a person, the director would listen to the directee with the knowledge of kind of their uh, Enneagram type, their brokenness in mind and think through how they could tailor and craft a set of practices or a pathway towards healing and towards spiritual maturity and growth. So the Enneagram can then be used not only just as a personality typing, um, but really as a as a guide, as this gentle. Here would be the ways to move out of fear and into peace, out of woundedness and into healing. Um, So I would love to start us off with some questions for you guys, Laura and Drew here. Um, Drew, again, is the lead pastor of Hope Midtown in New York City. Um, I'm the pastor of Formation, and Laura is the pastor of our missional churches and missional expressions. Um, They have a bunch of other things going on, too. So if that comes up, but you can read their bios, but Drew and Laura, so, so glad glad that we get to have this conversation today. So let me just start us off with, um, I know you're not really supposed to ask someone's Enneagram type, but I do happen to know both of yours and you have agreed to be here to speak into it. So um, Laura, would you start us off with how did you discover your Enneagram type and what was just that experience of discovery for you? What led to that?
2: Yes, thank you. It's so good to be with you all. Um, I mentioned earlier that I feel like I'm in a confession booth because, you know, you remember like, I don't think it was like MTV, which maybe I shouldn't have watched that, but um, don't tell my parents, Uh, but they would, yeah, I would have these like confessional booths. And so that's kind of how I feel right now being on a Zoom square. But Mm -hmm. um, so around, it was probably 12 years ago that I learned of the Enneagram from my mentor. And she said, I think you're probably this. And again, you're not supposed to really type people, but she was my mentor and wanted me really to dive into what this all looked like for me. So I I tested and found out that I was an Enneagram one, which almost in every personality test that I take, I'm always the one that I'm like, oh, that's like the one that I feel as if everybody will look at me going, Peak, stay clear. So, um, like, she's the judgy one. She's the perfectionist, you know. Um, and and so, it sent me, though, on a journey to discover, like, the goodness of that type, though. And what was the beauty in that of, you know, I think, yes, I can go all the way and be a perfectionist. And, and it just grates on me and it creates some really unhealthy patterns in my life. But the beauty of what I can bring is that I see the world in the way that God intends it to be in just this right, good space. And so if I can navigate that and join God in that space, then it can be a really beautiful thing. So it's been a journey of just navigating where I go to in health, which honestly, has been one of the most life-giving things for me, discovering more about myself. And I love all the tests. Um, if you've worked with me, if you've had any conversation with me, I've probably asked you all, you know, Myers-Briggs and StrengthsFinder and Enneagram and all the things, Apest. Um, but honestly, Enneagram has been probably one of the most freeing things for me. So as a one for me to go to health is to go to the seven, which is the enthusiast. So this love for life, like just chill out, Laura, like it's okay for there to be a little bit of mess. There's okay for things not to fit in a box. It's okay to enjoy your life. It's okay to embrace adventure um, and discovery. And it's okay if you mess up a little bit along the way. So um, yeah, the last 12 years have been me trying to just discover that and trying to also quiet this as a one. If you are a one, you will know that this internal critic is on overload. Um, I heard a podcast one time and they were talking about sometimes there's like a panel of them in your mind. And it does, it feels like that sometimes. And so for me to go to health is just to continue to quiet. Um, I know some people name their internal critic, um, but just just to quiet her um, Mm -hmm. and so yeah, it's I feel like I'm more I find I'm in in the healthy
1: space when I am not listening to that voice as much. So mm-hmm. that's good. Yeah, thanks for the the honesty right off the bat. Like I think the way you find out your Enneagram type is usually by the one that kah, gets you the most. It's not your strengths and you know, it certainly portrays that, but I think it's the one that's like, oh, this is my core fear. This is the core addiction, even that we run to the compulsions, the the things that we do when we're coping and trying to hide, or really just like the shadow side, our false selves. And so the Enneagram becomes this like very exposing, revealing thing, not just like i I'm a one and it, you know, it means all of this about me, but it's actually this, like, this is where I'm wounded. This is where the Lord is bringing me out of my places of brokenness and into places of healing. And so it is the one that that cuts the deepest, and I'm with you because I'm also a one and someone who has long struggled with perfectionism and just this sense of yeah fear of failure, addiction to control. Uh, those are the ways that it comes out for me. Um, I think it, yeah, some similar, some different. As you, Laura, but Drew would love to hear just your kind of discovery of your Enneagram type and just how maybe that that hit you—the experience of like, oh, this is this is the bro- the brokenness, the vice that it exposes.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. And it's, it's just fun being in this conversation with you guys. And uh, obviously love chatting with you guys about anything and everything. And um, yeah. And you guys know my Enneagram type. Um, when I first discovered the Enneagram, I can't remember when it was, but my wife and I, we were listening to a talk together describing the Enneagram and that same feeling, kind of what you said, Sarah, of that, uh like that, that sense of humiliation that came over as someone was describing the vices of my type, which is basically a type two. And uh, it was amazing, just kind of the insight that was revealed in that, you know, and I think um, it's been such a helpful self-discovery tool for me. But it's kind of funny because, you know, Laura was saying that, like, when she discovered hers, she was like, oh, like, no, uh, although it, how true it is. For me, it was more like, you know, Tina smiled at me and we were both smiling at each other because we we could hear the vice that was being portrayed of a two. And mm-hmm. it did describe me kind of like some of the passive aggressive, like the later eruptions of you know, of you owe me kind of language and that sort of thing. And, uh, and we kind of smiled at each other, but I, as a two, when I, when I found out I'm a two, I'm a helper, I actually felt like really happy. I was like, (laughs) yeah, like this is, this is, this is the most Christ-like, like Like I am the most Christ-like type there is. Uh, so of course it's no wonder that the vice of a two is pride, right? (laughs) Like, so, um, so I, th- I think that has been such a revelation for me. Like it was kind of like, yeah, I, I like my type, but um, but then it was, wow, how my type, and it came to me during a time when actually I was in a pretty significant leadership struggle where there was someone that I was working with that uh, they were a certain type, and I just had I had all these judgments toward that person. And it was interesting because I think what the Enneagram helped me do was to see that every type does have a positive and a negative, and that this person, instead of judging that person as being just all negative. And the reason why was because that person's personality type actually kind of mirrored um, my father's personality type, which I have a lot of wounding from. And so as a result, like, as i I'm going through this discovery of the Enneagram and I have all sorts of judgment towards this one person. And as the Enneagram was unlocking, like there's a shadow side to each person, there's a, you know, there's a redemptive side and a shadow side to each person. It was kind of like this revelation, like, wow, I'm, I have both a shadow and a redemptive side. And this person also has a redemptive side and a shadow side. And we're all just human beings who need the grace of God, you know? And um, so I just remember that being a big revelation of saying this person's not simply, you know, all these judgmental words, it's that person um, is living out of a certain, you know, kind of how they're predisposed to be. And they have, again, a redemptive side and a shadow side as well, you know? So that's where, uh, that's where my journey of the Enneagram has been so helpful for myself and me now continuing to be reminded of what are the things that I'm naturally gravitating towards and what are the things that, gosh. Uh, so here, here's another interesting tidbit. So the person that I had all these judgments toward, uh, no surprise, person was an eight, Uh, A challenge, which which is what my father was. Um, But here's the thing about a two, right? Like a two, when we get stressed, we become eights, and so I become the very thing that I was, like you know. And only my wife knows that because most of the people that I'm around experience me as this two helper guy. And uh, but then my wife, she's like, no, there's this like this aggression comes out of you when when you know. So. Anyhow, um, I don't know if too much of that's insider baseball related to, to Enneagram stuff, but obviously with you guys, you know, we're just having this conversation and you guys know kind of the ins and outs of how that all works, but it's been so helpful for me in that regard.
1: Yeah. I'm just remembering when I first moved to New York City a few years ago, Ryan, Laura's husband, he said to me, Laura, that nothing has like formed him or shaped him like New York City. And then the pandemic happened. And now I think it's like nothing has formed us or revealed us or exposed us like the pandemic. And especially in the place where we live and um, just that yeah, that like unveiling, un- unearthing of all the stuff um, that just kind of started to come out um, in a new way during the shutdown. And just, yeah. So how how has it been being a one, being a two with like an added level of stress and the heightened sense of um, just the triggering, the woundedness? Like, I think there has been kind of that that un- unveiling of um, some of the aspects of our our vices and our brokenness, maybe even in, in clear ways in these last years and just how, how has that maybe been exasperated and how therefore has, you know, based on Ryan's assessment, like how has that formed you thus far, like seeing the shadow sides, maybe in some specific ways, like how is that forming and shaping you, you know, as we're talking discipleship here too.
2: Yeah. go ahead great question. Um, and I think Ryan and I would probably have different answers um, because I, I, I do think both of those things have, have shaped and formed me, um, but they've, we've had different experiences. And here, let me explain what I mean by that. So coming to New York City for me as an Enneagram One was so freeing because I was able to leave some of the way that everybody saw me. So I felt like I had to fit into this particular, you know, Laura is the one that is always there. She's always going to get it done yesterday. She's going to do it perfectly. And it's always going to be better than you expected. And just call Laura. And it just, I don't know. I I was so freeing to come to New York City where nobody knew me. Mm -hmm. And I was able to just kind of release some of that. Now it doesn't mean that some of that has not creeped back in because now I know people and there's expectations and, you know, but, It was nice to just have that feeling for a minute of I don't have to be on time. And actually, in New York City, it's okay to not be on time because you can just say the train was late. (laughs) So it just it was really, really great to experience it and to say, you know, things didn't fall apart um, if I didn't do it just as so or nobody saw me in a negative light because I didn't do A, B, or C, and they didn't even know I could do those things. So for me, it was really freeing. Um, Now, during the pandemic, that was probably a different experience because we were all, I have three girls, so family of five, in an apartment, and we were in lockdown. Kids were in school, online. It, it, It was a lot what I quickly learned after one week. So I, I did the whole, like I ordered all this stuff to make sure they had the perfect, you know, setting for their school and had all the supplies. And I made it look like a classroom. And the second week, I think I was just like, you know what? You can wear your pajamas. I don't care where you sit. You know what? You know where the lunch is. I and mean, we're just not, I, I don't have time for that. And I mean, it was, actually again kind of freeing to go i don't have to make my bed it's okay i don't have to make sure everybody's in their right little spot and i mean i do like to create i think an like atmosphere and environment for people to just be so there is some of that that's good um but yeah and then um just real quick i actually did get covid in march of 2020 and just had a really Ryan and i both just had a very difficult time. And I was forced to stop. I was forced to rest. I couldn't produce. I couldn't, I mean, I could barely um, just write. I loved to journal and write. I couldn't write. My hands hurt so bad or I couldn't just go for a little walk. I had just, I would get tired really easily. And so pretty much for a month had to shut down and not exercise and not work for anybody. And I, I was doing my schooling. I was getting my MBA at the time and had to take a a term off, um, mm-hmm. which for me was very difficult. But again, it forced me to just stop, mm-hmm. to allow myself to rest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, we can talk more about that later, but I would say that's been a little bit of my experience.
1: That's good. And maybe that's even just as uh, those of us are listening to like asking that question of ourselves, how has the last couple of years and all that that has entailed, like how has it kind of brought to the surface, both the things that are kind of that core addiction compulsion, the things that we run to when we're coping, when we're in pain, um, but also how has it like provided maybe a freedom or a release from some of that, like a break, um, a breakthrough, you know, um, from the the parts that are broken. So, yeah, a question for the listeners, like what, how has the pandemic discipled you and how has it brought out um, maybe new elements of your spiritual journey? So same question for you, Drew.
3: Yeah. You know, for me so as a two, which is a helper um, like, My natural disposition is I just want to help people. Uh, But the insidious thing about it too, of course, is that I want to help people so that they'll like me. (laughs) <laughs> so I all this time I thought I was a great pastor but mostly it really was for myself so that people would like me. Well, people do like you so <laughs> yeah see so there's this and you really
2: helped me you helped me during the that that when true. I was that that you crazy. sent us meals <laughs> yeah
3: yeah I know so like and I think during the pandemic and I remember actually it was Sarah you were the one who during um early on you said, it would re- be really great if our church had a collective rule of life. And I know we're going to get into that conversation of a rule of That's life. Mm-hmm. But one of the reasons why that was so helpful was because, again, for me as a two, my natural disposition is where can I help people um, and what can I do? And so it's it's very outer. And like, I will say yes to these things and these opportunities. And I think for you to make that comment of like, we really need to to craft a rule of life of how are we going to do our life different in the midst of what we're going through right now? And like that impulse is not usually in me, you know, the impulse for me is just like, all right, all hands on deck. Let's just help. Who needs help? Who needs to get called? Who needs meals? Who needs, you know, um, who needs help? And so I think for me, um, my initial, you know, I think the pandemic was showing me first, there was a certain helplessness to the situation. Cause if you remember in New York, it was like, everything was shut down. And so it was like, I want to help you, but like, I can't do anything other than send you notes or maybe have something delivered or something like that. But we were all in lockdown. And so I think in many ways it was a real discipling moment for me of like, um, well, first drew it's So you can't, you can't save the world by yourself, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think I needed that reminder. Um, and then secondly, secondly, even if I can't help, like, it's okay that God still loves me and wants me to be, and wants to be present with me in kind of my everyday life and with my family right now. So that lack of being able to help people caused some undue stress for me. And I realized that stress was then beginning to leak out on my family. Mm -hmm. So I get really frustrated with them, frustrated with my, with my wife, Tina, or with our kids, and, you know, I'd be, I'd turn into a little bit of an eight, you know, because I was be- becoming stressed that I couldn't be this helpful person who was known as being this helpful, loving person. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just realized, wow, I really need to peel back some of, even those motivations for what, you know, like what's causing me this stress. And it's because I can't help people. And if I can't help people, they won't like me. And if they don't like me, then I'm ruined. And so there had to be a lot of soul work that was happening in me. And then, you know, when you encourage us to do the rule of life, you know, uh, Pete Scazzaro at the time, he was constantly saying like, Drew, I think you need to slow down more. You know, and so much of the early part of the pandemic was like, this is the moment for revival. Like, this is the time for the church to rise. And Pete was one of the first ones that was saying to me, like, hey, Drew, I think I think you actually you're at half capacity right now. You need to actually slow down more. Mm -hmm. And uh, Mm -hmm. like those corrective kind of prophetic voices for me, like you and Pete and others of just like slow down. You can't save the world. God's still on the throne. Let's do what we can. Let's try to be a loving, non-anxious presence in the midst of this. Do what I need for my own personal soul and sanity, right? Which that's is one of the things, Yeah, that's so hard for a two. Um and for ones, I think, right? Like but just to be careful of like okay, what what do I need to be flourishing in this season? Um and of course no one is flourishing, but how, what is what does it mean for me to be still kind of Being filled with life so that whatever comes out of me is not my anxiety, is not my dysfunction, but rather is like from a really truly centered, loving place. So Mm -hmm. uh, those are some of the things that came out of me.
1: Yeah, that's good. Yeah, in a way, it was a gift in the sense of it being like, well, we talk about the iceberg, you know, like all the things that are normally below the surface kind of just had nowhere else to go but bubble to the to the top, and so seeing ourselves maybe in ways that we can normally just you know kind of push to the side or you know mask, uh, ironically enough. But I think that yeah, the gift in the stripping and like in the releasing some of the things that we normally can just hold together, you know, as a one, I know Laura and I like, there's, we can hold a lot together, but when it just kind of comes crashing down and here's what we're left with, then that is like a moment for deeper discipleship and yeah, maybe less of a moment for revival and, and big new things, but more of that moment of like our own pressing into the Lord. And that is where we come to the rule of life. So Drew mentioned, um, as a church, we kind of crafted, like, what is our corporate rule of life? What are the things that we want to be about in this time? Not having any idea how long this time would be um, this season. And I think we even called it a rule of life for when all the rules have changed. <laughs> um, and just realizing that, like, you know, especially in that season, there's just not a lot that you can craft in a way that's like here's our goals and our you know measurements and all this yeah big to do but more of a a crafting of like how will we stay centered how what are the few things we can pare it down to that are here's what's important these are our priorities and that's really what an individual rule of life is as well and that's kind of more where we'll talk so we've talked enneagram we'll talk rule of life now and then the end we'll kind of overlay the two um but yeah, a rule of life being just an intentional set of practices and these this is the way I want to be, the way I want to live my life, not a set of goals and, you know, bucket list kind of things, but really more of who who do I want to be in the world? I want to be a non-anxious presence as Drew said. Like, how how am I making this a posture and a part of my day, Um, as Annie Dillard says, the way we live our days is the way we live our life. And so how is it, where do we get really practical? And like, if this is who I want to be in 50 years, then how am I living that in my today right now. So if each of you could just speak into, and I'll start with Drew on this one, um, speak into your own rule of life. I know Drew has had this practice for a number of years. You are like the king of rules of life and just, yeah, describe like why it's been important to you and kind of what yours looks like even right now, um, as I know you recently just revisited it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So twice a year. Thanks for that intro, Sarah. Yeah. I um, craft a rule of life along with my wife, Tina. And it basically is our intentional plan for how are we going to, how are we going to go about our lives so that Jesus stays at the center? And, you know, there's this quote by Eugene Peterson, where he says, you're busy because you are lazy. And I remember reading that and I just thought it was so counterintuitive. I'm like, no, 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 no. Like busy people are not lazy. They're the ones who are like getting stuff done. They're the ones who I want on our team, you know? And, um, but what he was saying is you're busy because you're lazy by saying yes to everything instead of saying yes to the key things. Mm. And I think that's what a rule of life has been for me has been like an intentional way for me to focus. And like I said, as an Enneagram tube, I say yes to anything and everything. And I want to help in every way. And I have this overabundant belief that somehow I can get it all done. And, um, the rule of life has really given me the discipline of like, now, what does it look like for me to be committed with Jesus at the core towards, um, having prayer relationships, rest and work. So those are the four headings that I usually start with those four headings. And then I put in each section, what are the practices in each of those areas prayer, rest, relationships and work mm-hmm. that I'm going to prioritize in this season of my life so that, um, so that Jesus can stay at the center. And so that whatever hills and valleys might come in life or in these next few months, like I know that I've got a set of practices that keep me anchored to Jesus. Now I don't do this really because I'm such a holy person. I really, when I learned this practice, it was because I tend to be so emotionally unhealthy. You know, I tend to be someone who like I mentioned, says yes to everything. And as a result, there've been significant seasons before I started practicing a real life of burnout. And I was only like 24 years old and I was burnt out. And I'm like, how can this be? I'm 24 years old. And so I think, you know, setting these practices for me have really been a lifeline for me of just staying sane and uh, joyful and not that life has been easy by any stretch of the imagination, but Um, it's really given me a filter by which I can say, yes, this is what I will be committed to. No, this is what I can't commit to right now. And so, um, you know, and that whole process is a prayerful process of trying to do that on the front end. And I think for most church planners out there, I think uh, we set a rule of life. So my wife and I, we set a rule of life, even when we started out with the whole church planning journey, because we knew like I would get so swallowed up in the latest you got to do this. You got to do that. You got to do this. And if your church is not here, like there were all these pressing demands. They seem like demands, but ultimately what those demands would end up doing is, is pulling my heart and my soul away from loving Jesus and loving my wife, you know, and, and, and children. And so like, so I think that that's where this is really the first step. I think in any kind of ministry endeavor is really like, um, how do I be someone who fulfills a great commandment before I do the great commission, you know, so loving Jesus and loving others. So, um, so that's kind of been, uh, you know, an overview of my process and how it's been helpful for me and um, why I'm such a big fan of doing rule of life.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love how, how, Proactive it is. And I think that that's, you know, everyone has a rule of life, whether we know it or not. Everyone has a set of habits and the way we live our days and the way we live our weeks. Like it's just a matter of whether it's conscious or kind of unconscious, whether it's proactive or kind of reactive. And to, to get ahead in the, in the sense of like building that trellis, if you've heard that example before, but like, this is how I want my life to grow slowly on this trellis, this um, set of um, things that are just important, the priorities and the practices. So um, Laura, how about you? What is your rule of life? Do you have one? What, how informal or formal might it be? Um, Maybe even explain like kind of how yours is developed.
2: Yes. And I, I mean, I'm really glad you mentioned that some of it is, you know, it's maybe unrealized. And so it's been really a good practice even for me to kind of go, okay, how has, how have I shaped my days even over the last, you know, five years or so? Like, what are some things that have been intentional and how do I want to be proactive? And so I put them into some buckets that I've just noticed have been helpful for me. So I'll just give you the, the buckets and then I'll just explain a little bit. So um, I would say pause, um, presence, priorities, practices, and play. Mm-hmm. So pause. I've just realized that I have to have moments where I'm pausing, where I and learned a lot of this from emotionally healthy spirituality, but am I being, you know, am I, am I sitting and, and with Jesus, am I being before I am doing, mm-hmm. and am I just allowing moments to just to pause and, mm-hmm. um, as a one, I love, I, I I just like to work. I like, I do. I like to be busy. I like to produce. I like to check the boxes off. I feel mm-hmm. so accomplished at the end of the day. And I don't think that's a necessarily a bad thing. Um, but it has forced me to go, okay, where am I putting those pauses in, in the middle of um, my days, which again, emotionally healthy spirituality will help you with that as well. Um, so, and then just presence. This is a big thing that I've I don't. Know, it was kind of on my New Year's resolution, if you say that. But I feel like if I call it that, I won't actually do it. So I feel like I need another name. Um, but is I can multitask. I am very good actually at multitasking. Um, and I, not to put genders in boxes, but I think a lot of women are. Um, but I don't <laughs> know if it's always helpful. So what I'm really trying to do is to remain single focused, to be present. So I, like right now, I've put my do not disturb on. I'm not going to be checking text or, I mean, it's easy when we're on Zoom meetings, you know, and going, oh, that email came through. Like, I'm going to go email that or I'm going to go write this thing or, oh, this came up. And just really trying to be focused in the present moment. Um, If my kids come in and I'm typing and working and they say, mom, that I stop. I put my fingers down off the keyboard. I look them in the eye. Same with people. If I'm going to go to lunch or be with somebody, I just set a timer actually on my phone of like five minutes to when I know I need to start wrapping up. So I'm just not always looking at my phone. So that's one thing is just kind of being present, single-minded. The other is just practices. One thing that we've done for about 12 years are just missional incarnational practices, which our family Has done bells. If you just, you can go look up Surprise the World by Michael Frost, but those are just missional practices that we've really incorporated. And the priorities, I had read something, I don't know, it's probably been maybe 10 years ago, but it was, um, I can't remember her name, but it's Mark Zuckerberg's sister. And she wrote something on just like, you can really only have three big priorities in different seasons of your life. You can't do everything well. And so what are the things in those moments and those seasons that you can do well? So for example, I for two years have been, you know, working through my MBA. And so honestly, and I love hanging out with all of my friends, but I wasn't able to do that as much. I wasn't able to go for walks, you know, often. Thankfully, Sarah works with me and she's my friend. So that was a really great, like it was able, you know, I was able to do that, but um, it was so fun actually. Drew, you had done this in our staff meeting, but showed us your calendar and how you blocked out your stuff. And I was able to actually put like friends on like, you know, a certain point of like on Friday and then another block. It's, Cause that's a big priority for me, you know, right now. Cause I just graduated with my MBA. So yay, that's done. But I do think it is important to go, we can't do all the things well. What are the few things that we can? And then the other was just play. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't play well. I mean, even when my, my girls were young, so I have three daughters, um, Ryan always did the like playing dolls with them really well. I don't know. I just couldn't. I just was like, what is this accomplishing? Like, and I just don't, I don't know. I like to live in reality, I think. And I was like, I can't pretend. I don't know, which is very <laughs> sad. But um, I'm learning to mm. just play, to go mm. run around at the park. My, honestly, my six year old has really been such a gift to me. Cause I just try to play, like live a little vicariously through her, um, to just, she's like doing splatter paint. And I mean, it is so fun, you know? And so anyways, those are probably the buckets though. I would say have been really, I think just helpful. And
1: yeah, I think you guys yeah. both really gave the examples too, of like, there's so many ways to develop a rule of life or so many ways that it can look even Drew's looks like an Excel sheet of like kind of his schedule of a day. Like this is what makes a good Monday and a good Tuesday. And these are the things that in a week, like I have time for this. I have a block for this. I have, you know, this Sabbath practice that's like a hard start and a hard stop. And, um, and then Laura's your buckets. And I've had a number of iterations of a rule of life. And this is primarily what our, um, seminar will be on in Orlando at the exponential conference. So come for more of like the practical, how do you actually make a rule of life and how do you make it look like you too? And that's kind of where we'll, we'll go for the rest of the time, especially based on our Enneagram type. But mine has personally gone through so many iterations of like, I started with like an actual checklist of like, here's all the things I want to do. There's my, my oneness coming out. Um, and I saw it more as like a to-do list, I think. And now it's a bit more of like a um, I'll just to show you this is the latest uh rendition of it and it's really just um like some daily practices some weekly and this is what i want my sabbath to feel like and look like and it's a lot more on like it, it even because i'm a one and i like patterns um it even has like rest and move so like the the engage and withdraw like there's this, this rhythm of like and I, I think that is part of our rule of life too is that there's a Uh, what am I leaning into and what am I pulling away from? And so rest and move like the every day, there's like eight hours of sleep, but also like exercise, uh, literally moving or taking a walk, worship and work that there's the, the silencing, the prayerful, and the engaging in work, um, the connect and disconnect. So like connecting with friends, but disconnecting from my phone. So it does become like, these are my values, but then what are the actual like things that I am doing to cultivate that, to say like, this isn't just important in an ethereal way. This is like on my calendar. Um, So there's so many different ways to develop a rule of life. But now we're going to transition for the rest of the time kind of into where does your Enneagram then inform your rule of life and how, because I think so many of us might craft, um, whether it's a rule of life or even just like goals for a year, like a mission statement, but it's not actually us. It doesn't actually work for me. And maybe it doesn't actually work for like, this is where I am growing. And this is where I'm, uh, you know, instead of the idealistic, you know, this is who I think I am or who I should be or whatever, but like, this is really my starting point um, based on that, you know, woundedness or the things that are, we realize the compulsions, addictions, the shadow side, this is like actually where I am. And This is where the Lord is leading me to go. And this is part of my healing path. And so can we see the Enneagram as that that guide and pathway and then incorporate into our rule of life, like actual practical daily, weekly habits and rhythms. Um, And so I would love for you guys to just kind of speak into that generally first, maybe like how has the Enneagram maybe already informed your spiritual growth, your soul care, your Healing journey, um, in what ways? And then um, has it overlapped thus far in intentional and conscious ways with your rule of life as well? Drew, you want to start us
3: off? Yeah. You know, and as you were talking of just kind of like how our personality types, you know, when it comes to formation, like it really needs to be informed. Mike Park, who's a mutual friend of ours, is a pastor at Hope West Side. I remember he told me that when he first started practicing Sabbath, uh, he was miserable and he's a three. So he, a yep. three an achiever who wanted to get a, you know, do, do really well at Sabbath. And so he had this vision of what it's like, but he's a high extrovert as well. And so he was telling me the story and he was single at the time. He, he, you know, he was being told like, okay, practice Sabbath. So what he did was he didn't talk to anyone. He stayed in his room. And he ended up just watching like movies all day and felt kind of so gross at the end and felt like, so like his soul had shriveled up on his Sabbath, you know, and it was just this whole idea of like, yeah, you know, like um, Sabbath, you know, man was not made for Sabbath, Sabbath was made for man. Like it was like these, these tools are supposed to be helpful for us in being life giving so that we can stay tethered to Jesus so that his yoke can be easy and his burden light, you know, mm-hmm. and so. Um, yeah I would say for me I think as an any rem too like I mentioned like the more so what was interesting was I remember showing my rule of life to Pete Scazzaro and he was, he was kind of like whoa he's like there's so much on there and um, he was a little taken aback by how detailed I had written things out and and I told him because I'm a two and because I often am not aware of my limits and like I need to be super defined in mm. What I'm gonna prioritize, because if I'm not, I just know I'm gonna say yes to everything. So I need to, you know, he was surprised that I had things just even as specific as how many nights a year am I gonna be uh, away from home? like mm-hmm. he he was just surprised that there was a certain level of, and it's because kind of throughout my life, the things that I've realized is like, I'm usually not very thoughtful about these things. And as a two, I tend to say yes to everything and want to help everyone. Mm -hmm. But if I can on the front end, be as defined as possible. And then as a two as well, it's hard for me to to know even like what I prefer and what I like. Mm -hmm. So it's taken me years now on my Sabbath and in that rest category um, to figure out, you know, Uh, Laura, you were mentioning practices, you know, for me, it's also people and places like what are the life giving things for me and what are not. And so it's taken me years to realize like, okay, I need to really prioritize. Like, I don't like traveling on Sabbath and I I need to. um, So traveling any more than 15 minutes anywhere. I don't like going to any shopping areas, (laughs) you know? Like, so it's like that defined, that's how defined my rule of life is and how, and how defined my Sabbath is. And, Mm -hmm. and it's my Enneagram type too, that needs, needs that because it becomes my list of what I'm prioritizing. So even there, I showed you what I'm not prioritizing, but like for me, Mm -hmm. prioritizing naps, um, watching sports, um, is also big for me, but like, Uh, but I can't do it too much. Right. So I even have that defined and how long it's going to be and things like that. So um, naps, spending copious time with my kids and um, going for walks and things like, you know, so like all of those things are meticulously laid out for me in my role of life. And, you know, some people might look at it and be like, Oh, you're being so legalistic. And for me, I'm like, no, no, you don't understand. Like this is helpful for someone like me who tends to, um, just throw everything at the wall Mm -hmm. and say yes to everything. Like I need a list of priorities for me so that I could, um, do things that are life-giving so that I am not ending up just saying yes to every demand that there is.
1: That's good. Yeah. I, I mean, you said it this way, but you see it as like a set of safeguards. Like this is your filter to like protect and to protect your family time. Like this, this isn't a list of like scary boundaries and to do's. It's actually like a protection. I bet Laura and I are a little different in this. Like I can tend to have a long list of like, this is everything I want to do on my Sabbath and it's like good fun, you know, like, restful things, but then it's still like a really long checklist. And like, I would literally check off sometimes, like I did this. I had my Jesus time. I had my walk. I had my friend time. I had, you know, and that's a little crazy. So wondering Laura, if yours kind of looks a little different or like how you're what, what in your type oneness ness um, can be, I guess combated through your rule of life or what, what would be some of your protections and your safeguards, um, just knowing your natural tendencies.
2: Yeah. I was actually thinking about this this morning because I think in light of how we're wired, like there, again, there's really great things. So as an Enneagram one, yes, I can put it and structure it. And I, I do agree with you, Drew. Like I, I know for myself, I will say yes to everybody and everything and getting it done yesterday. So I, for that, I do need to be, you know, proactive at my, for, for my yeses and my no's. Um, But here's, what's been really interesting to me is in light of where I do need to move in health and growth, it's saying, okay, I know I'm a structured person. So I know that I am going to want my time alone with Jesus to look a certain way. Mm -hmm. Um, But in reality, it doesn't always happen that way. And I've learned to become okay with that. And knowing that there's going to be different seasons for, and the reason I I give that as the probably the biggest example is because, so I remember, I mean, I grew up in the church and was always very disciplined about my time with Jesus. So, I mean, even started journaling when I was a sixth grader and had my devotion, you too, Sarah, um, you know, had my devotion and I know a plus, but um, (laughs) I mean, I still, (laughs) I still have like, prayer journals from high school and college. And so I've journaling has been such a a big thing for me. I remember when I had my first kid though. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you're like, I'm going to get up in the morning I'm going (laughs) to light my candle, I'm going to get my journal, and it's just going to be this great time. And it's like, everything goes out the window. I'm tired at that point. I don't want to sit and read. And so it was learning, I mean, literally from the time I've had kids. So I have a 14-year-old daughter. So 14 years, I'm having to learn what it looks like to actually be in relationship with Jesus. And even if it's not in the very structured, like hour in the morning, going through a Beth Moore study, you know, like, and you know what? I've had season of that. I mean, last year during the pandemic, my kids were kind of doing things. We were stuck. I couldn't, I wasn't taking everybody to and from my girls are older now. So I was able to get like, I love Beth Moore studies. So I was going through like learning about the tabernacle. It was so rich for me, but now I'm in this season where I'm doing more just kind of Lectio and and just sitting in that. And then also just this, you know, you're talking about like the unforced rhythms of grace, like how do I just find and I'm aware and attuned to God mm-hmm. all the time versus just those moments. But I also need these moments of contemplation. So I just, I think knowing as an Enneagram one, like here's my preferred, mm. but It's okay if it gets disrupted, but it shouldn't disrupt me. It shouldn't Mm -hmm. disrupt my time with Jesus. It shouldn't disrupt. I mean, you know, you were talking about like a non anxious presence through like, how can I just remain that still axis in the midst of the will continuing to spin and my Mm -hmm. environment changes? um, My schedule changes, everything changes. Can I still remain grounded and rooted in Jesus and find God in the midst of all the things? So I love nature. Um, so sometimes it's just going to Central Park, I'm so grateful we live so close. It's just Sarah and I have walked Central Park and just, I mean, I have had moments even I mean, Sarah, we were walking, I think it was like it had snowed or something. I don't know. There's just these beautiful, just and and having just conversation that's good and saying like God is in the midst of those things. And so, but that again goes back to my party of like going, mm. I'm gonna be present to the moments too. Um, so I'm not sure that fully answered your question, Sarah, but I think that I've had to say, here's a preferred. If it's messed mm-hmm. up. So when I did have COVID, I mean I I couldn't get up and read. And I remember my mentor just saying, you know, Laura, do you, even in your times alone with, with Jesus, can you just sit and be, or are, do you feel like you even have to produce in that? Mm -hmm. And I mean, it it really, really stung me a bit, honestly, because I think in the midst of that, I'm still trying to like
1: Mm -hmm. produce,
2: or I'm trying to like, God, did you see what a good job I did? Um, and can I just sit and be and know that that God loves me even if I'm just, I'm just sitting. Mm-hmm. So those have been some, I think, probably learnings for me over the last several years.
1: Good. Yeah. And I think that speaks into where I wanted to go next and kind of just get really drilled down practical. Um, we do have a question that I want to address. And then if There's other questions that you can start popping in. Hopefully we'll have a few minutes for that. But um, uh, I think it was John Mark Comer that kind of introduced me to this idea and he might have gotten it from somewhere else. But the idea of like downstream spiritual practices and upstream spiritual practices. So downstream being like, these are the ones that are preferred and that are natural and that are life giving in the sense that like this is really who I am at my core. This is my true self. And this comes easily. And it's still part of our spiritual growth, like leaning into this aspect. You know, if we're talking Enneagram specifically, like for me to lean into study, like you said, Laura, like study and using my mind and like the, you know, the the scripture, the Um, Yeah, that would be like a downstream practice, I think, for both of us, the journaling, the the nerding out, Um, a downstream like this comes as just really this is like my dessert versus the upstream practices, which are kind of the vegetables like these are good and good for me. And it's just not as natural, but it's still like something that I want to lean into, especially as a way to counteract, maybe or like Drew, we talked about like the filters, like what are the things that would be a little heavier paddling, but that are still in that line of like, this is part of my growth, part of my healing. Um, What are practices maybe specific to both of your types that would be downstream practices? This comes really natural for me. Upstream practices, this is this is good, but it's, the, it's the, the vegetables and the paddling a little bit harder. And then I also um, wanted to just run through some for other types, just so that our listeners can get some ideas of these might just be some of the really practical next steps for how my Enneagram could be incorporated into my rule of life practices. So um, Drew, do you have downstream, upstream, if you categorize it like that?
3: Yeah. I mean, it was interesting because when Laura was sharing about her rule of life, she talked about missional practices, which I know she's been so great at teaching and stuff, you know, and bells, so much of it is this outward orientation. And so it was interesting because she was mentioning that and I'm like, oh yeah, why, why haven't I listed those things in my rule of life? And it's because again, as a, as a helper, like yeah. those things just kind of come in some ways, a lot of those things come naturally. Like I'm constantly thinking of blessing or encouraging or, you know, and so Uh, that's why my rule of life looks like more of like this really selfish, like spa day for me, you know, (laughs) like how is uh,
1: that's actually your upstream. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah. And so the, the hard work of figuring out, like, what can I do so that I can have fun and enjoy, you know? So I would say, you know, so in that way, I think, you know, acts of service and that sort of thing is, is probably like more of that downstream spirituality and then kind of the upstream spirituality for me is, is really like, okay, what are the things first coming to grips of like, what do I really enjoy and give me life, you know, and what are those practices? And so um, that's what I would say. And I would also want to say before, you know, uh, I would love to hear you, your answer to that last question too, Sarah, about your rule of life and how your Enneagram type. Anyhow, yeah. just yeah, so before yeah. we finish, would love to hear that. So.
1: Yeah, well, I can jump in right there because I was just thinking, um, Paul, my husband, he's a seven. And so we can look really different. Like there's there's some arrows if you are deep in the Enneagram that uh, like in health, I look a little like a seven. Um, which is playful and spontaneous and able to just enjoy life and be really present. And so those would kind of be more like my upstream practices. Like it's funny that Laura and I, we kind of have to like schedule fun or like make sure that we're doing something that's like playful and like letting ourselves just be and, and enjoy life and not have to like work and produce and make sure that we're being good for, you know, everyone else or yeah. So like Paul in a sense, like helps me be that, like allow space for joy and for fun and date nights and magical Mondays. Um, But yes, you guys know. Um, But I think the, yeah, that's weirdly like joy and play is an upstream practice, but then the downstream ones would be um, the, the ones where I am able to just feel most like myself, which actually is in solitude and in silence. So I know for some people, like those practices of like stillness and solitude like that does not come easily it comes very easily for me um i'm a pretty introverted one and a are a little more extroverted but i think the the practices of stillness like even because as a one like we're really uh influenced by our body like we're the gut center the triad um again if you know deep in the enneagram but practices that help me engage in my body, like just sitting still and breathing and going on walks that I'm not doing anything but walking. Like those are really, really filling for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I notice when I don't have those in my dailiness. Um, so yeah, Laura, do you want to take that on? And then we'll, we'll try to squeeze in a few other types. Just give some examples.
2: Yes. Um, yeah. I, th- I think um Definitely. I kind of already mentioned probably the downstream stuff Um, except for exercise. I actually really love and need just for it to get my stress out and actually not think about anything. Um, I, I go to a place called Orange Theory. So you can't like can't take your phone into the studio. And so it's such a nice like nobody can get to me. Um, (laughs) And I don't have to think about or do anything for anybody. But it's become also a place of community for me and of fun. And um, so I think as part of just even the missional practices, what's happening for me is I'm starting to marry some of the you know, so it is blessing people. So I'm being a generous person. It is eating with people. And I love that. I love just sitting, sharing a meal with people, coffee, whatever. Um, but it is then listening, listening to the Holy spirit, like pausing and then learning from Jesus and, and then yes, continue to go out. But ha- I'm trying to find ways probably just in my neighborhood, how I can kind of do some of those with other people. Um, but yeah, the play thing is, is very difficult. Um for me. And again, I think it probably is just finding it to be okay in the mess mm-hmm. um, is probably the biggest thing of it, things not being perfect. Um, so like upstream for me would be when things aren't fitting together quick like when I'm working on stuff and it's just not fitting in the way that I want and allowing discovery mm-hmm. um, would be a big space for me. And yeah, I think um, All that my spiritual practice of leaving a mess, like letting something yeah. mess like this is yeah, can up. I like leave my bed unmade, you yeah. know, or or whatever. I mean, I've had to force myself to like leave dishes in the sink. Or and I know there's probably some people going, oh my gosh, they're like crazy. But um, but yeah, I I but I would never have known those things and it would have created so much anger if I didn't like get my quiet time in because everybody else, like my kids disrupted it or Ryan, you know, interrupted me or whatever, but um,
1: yeah. Yeah. Well, let me just um, read off. I've called these from a few different areas and just kind of from my own experience and relationships and stuff. Um, But we've heard of the downstream and upstream practices for us as ones and twos. But just to throw out some ideas to get our listeners' minds thinking, um, a three, some of your downstream, natural, like life-giving, this is where i most myself. Some of um, your downstream practices might be like Having a reading plan, something that feels like an accomplishment. You're the, the achiever, the the planner, the one that can accomplish things and make your to-do list. So having a reading plan that you stick to, a daily office kind of practice, morning, noon, night prayer. The upstream practices for a three, as you mentioned about Mike Park, might be... Sabbath and like, what does actually a threes Sabbath look like? It probably doesn't look like binging TV shows all day, but what could a Sabbath look like for a three? What could a social media fast, like not being image um, conscious for a time? I know Drew, you're doing a social media fast right now too. And I believe you're three wings. So you can speak into that, Laura, you're married to a three, anything else that you guys would add on um, some practices for threes? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think it's,
2: it's probably it's similar, I think, to ones in the just, can you just be without producing? I think mm-hmm. that's probably the biggest thing I've noticed is just, who are you without
1: mm-hmm. what you've achieved or produced? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a four, um, some of the things that come pretty naturally downstream for a four would be solitude, journaling, art, but those are all still spiritual practices that are part of our healing journey, our growth, our maturity, Um, but for a four, potential upstream practices might be actually community and really leaning into friendship, Um, gratitude, where they can tend to have more of a a sense of lack or loss, um, but to choose into gratitude. Um, A five, some of their downstream natural practices might be study and scripture and theology and reading and um, the things that really spark your brain, that alone time. Again, whereas a five's upstream or choosing into practices that would allow for their growth would be generosity, where there can be um, potentially just a tendency to to hug in close, but like, how can I live generously? What would be some daily, weekly, monthly habits of generosity, um, habits of service instead of kind of this inward facing, um, a six could be, some downstream practices for a six, um, maybe scripture, memorization, music. I forget where I got those from, but, um, something that just like stirs your heart like that. Whereas a six, um, and community for sure is very natural for a six. Um, whereas the unnatural, but press into this would be journaling or Lectio Divina, something that's a little more in the headspace, um, and solitude. And then a seven, as we mentioned, the practice of, um, of community comes really naturally gratitude, joy. Um, whereas practices of fasting and solitude again, or silence, um, very, very good for a seven and yet kind of not uh, the most natural things. So, um, I didn't get to eight and nine, but I want to be really mindful of our time. I think we have about 30 seconds left. So, thank you guys for joining this conversation. And we would love to see you at uh, Exponential, the the rest of you listeners at um, our webinar or our seminar at Exponential, when we're talking specifically about I want to craft my rule of life um, for this season and make it something that feels really proactive and really me. And so, that's where this. piece comes in how can it work for me and my growth so um we oh bruce says i can finish with the last two types not leave people hanging (laughs) okay so uh downstream practices for an eight um that might actually this one surprised me but for an eight, uh, it comes very naturally to have that compassion, maybe in like a little bit more of a fierce way, fierce compassion and a sense of justice and really fighting for truth. That's very natural leadership um, as a spiritual practice to, to lean into your leadership downstream practice, but for an eight and upstream, a uh, uh, more challenging, but still necessary and Helpful um, practice could be uh, just a practice of listening, sitting still, not speaking, but listening to God, listening to people and even accountability, um, inviting other people into your life for confession, for honesty, Um, for a nine, the downstream practices for a nine are certainly nature and anything that is peaceful and meditative and um, relational that certainly is part of your growth. Uh, part of your spiritual practice, but upstream for a nine, um, speaking up and knowing what you prefer, what you want, something that would be um, a growth process and a healing process for you would be uh, being able to have an opinion one way or the other, instead of uh, just agreeing with everyone. I know, because I have a pretty strong nine wing. So, Uh, Those are just to get your wheels turning on what might be some practices that you can incorporate into your rule of life um, based on who you are and who God is bringing you back to as your true self. I think it's more of a process of shirking our false self a little bit more um, and leaning into our true self. So. Again, thank you, Laura and Drew, for this great conversation, and I hope we can keep it going. We might do another one more specifically on the Enneagram, and we'll see you in Orlando for our uh, rule of life, crafting our rule of life. So blessings to all who were here and listening later, and we'll see you in Orlando at Exponential.
0: Thanks for listening to this Exponential podcast episode. Visit Exponential.org for more resources to become a part of our multipliers community. We look forward to connecting with you and the entire Exponential community of like-minded multiplication leaders at one of our upcoming events.